Hello, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Welcome to The Long Way, a podcast of short episodes with long perspectives on building the common good. This episode is called Truth or Dare, and we'll be looking at journalism, how it's changing, why it matters, and how to approach it. And our guest is someone who dares to tell the truth as she sees it. Newspapers do not have, and outlets do not have, the kinds of um, financial leeway that they used to have. Can I swear on this podcast, or are you against it? Just before we get to hear from Jen Gerson, let me say a word about Cardus, the think tank to which this podcast belongs. We're an organization based in Hamilton, Ontario, that's dedicated to three things. Helping us all live together well, honoring our differences, and protecting the vulnerable. And we do that through the policies we develop, the research we produce, and the commentary we publish and broadcast. So, journalism, an industry, and a profession that is changing very rapidly. Our guest, as I mentioned, is Jen Gerson, a Calgary-based freelancer who has seen regular employment as a reporter with the National Post and Calgary Herald once upon a time, and as a CBC commentator. Now she is working through independent media. In fact, she is the co-founder of The Line, a site for irreverent commentary by Canadian magazine and newspaper writers, and co-host of the podcast, Oppo. Well, it's good to have you on The Long Way. Uh, Thanks for having me. Let me start by asking you, what does journalism mean for you today? In all that you've got going here, your, your online magazine, The Line, your podcasting on Oppo, what's meaningful to you about all of that in journalism? Oh, that's a very broad question. Um, you know, for me, journalism is, is really very much an act. Uh, reporting on things and telling the truth and, and, and writing has always just sort of been what I've been in it for. Um, you know, I, I, I just sort of think that's, that's, that's really about it, to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's a matter of telling truth, reflecting the reality of the world. Yeah, I mean, with, with an understanding that that reality is always colored by my own experience and the fact that, you know, the, the person telling it always has a, has, has a, has their own sort of um, way of perceiving the world, sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's, that's just it. I just like to write about things and I like to talk about things that are of interest to people. Um, and I like to discover information and report on things. So to me, journalism, journalism has always been very um, bound up and tied with the craft and mechanics of it. Now, I read an, an Avenue magazine profile uh, on you in, in which you said you reject the, the journalism school definition of journalism as comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. Why, why do you do that? What, how does that feed into your, your career and your work? Uh, well, because I think that that is basically an activist mantra, right? I, I mean, if your job is to... Um, uh, be hard on rich people and easy on the poor, that's not really telling the truth necessarily in all times, right? I mean, my, my ideal here is, is to speak what I think is, is true. And if I'm sort of filtering that through what is at, the, at its heart a, a progressive activist mantra, 
then that's limiting my ability to speak that truth. It's not to say that I have any particular sympathies to the rich or hatred of the poor. That that's not what it is at all. It's just a recognition that you know the human experience is is incredibly varied and complicated, um, and you know the world doesn't fit into neat categories of good guy, bad guy, black hat, white hat, white hat. And if you want to have or engage with the world in any serious or complicated way. Um, I, I think narrowing your definition of truth telling just in such a way is, is going to be a hindrance to that. It, it really deprives anything you do of any kind of nuance. I find the emphasis on truth telling uh, important, obviously. I, I mean, I would agree with it. So, do you feel there has been a change in your ability to do truth telling? based on where you work, where you do your journalism, and the outlets that you have. You know, you used to be with the Calgary Herald, with the National Post, a uh, commentator on the CBC. Now you've got more your own outlets, outlets that you control. So how has that changed, or has it not changed at all, maybe? Well, I, I, let's put a caveat in there and say, like, when I talk about my version of, of journalism, mostly what I'm doing is commentary and essay writing. So it's not like I'm I'm doing a lot of kind of original reporting. I do do some when a good story um, uh, falls into my lap. I, I definitely do it. But most of how I earn my bread is 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 commentary. Um, so when I'm saying speaking truth, I'm speaking my version of the truth. I'm speaking what I perceive or what I think to be true. And I try to back that up with as much reporting as possible. But it's a different kind of journalism than what most journalists are doing. Um, I think that there has been sort of a, a, a dramatic narrowing of what we would call the Overton window. I think there's been a dramatic narrowing of what um, is acceptable to be talked about in mainstream media. And I think that it's been happening over time and then it, it accelerated as a result of COVID. I think that narrowing has been, there's been a lot of reasons for that. One of the most obvious has been financial. Um, you know, newspapers do not have, and outlets do not have the kinds of um, financial leeway that they used to have. Can I swear on this podcast or are you against it? <laughs> I'd prefer if you didn't. Okay, well, basically, you know, there's there's something called screw-off money, right? Um, you, you're only as free as your ability to pay the rent, and you're only as free to say what you think as long as you can drop a client um, and, and afford to do that uh, because your integrity matters more. The second you don't have enough money in the bank to do those things, you're stuck. Um, and I think that that, unfortunately, is the position that a lot of media outlets are in right now. They, they just don't have the luxury of... of um, getting into too much trouble. They don't have the luxury of risking um, a potential you know, social media backlash. Um, they don't have the psychological wherewithal to deal with um, a serious bad faith dissent. Um, and they don't have the ability to withstand, say, a boycott campaign in the way that they might have 10, 15 years ago. And as a result, um, you know, whether or not a lot of these these factors are, are material or not, it creates this culture of fear in media where people are, are very, very reluctant to take risks. So do you sense more freedom now to say what you think needs to be said in, in the way that you do your journalism? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm basically now completely independent. Um, yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I say what I think, but I still don't, you know, I still believe in, in the dictates of journalism. I still believe in rigor. I still believe in sort of uh, holding even my own beliefs to scrutiny as much as possible. And if people, you know, 
give me a good faith rebuttal or disagreement, um, I take that into consideration. So I think that that uh, you know I don't necessarily believe in objectivity in journalism because objectivity is a really slippery concept. But I do believe in very in very basic concepts like fairness and balance, right? Like fairness to me is 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 really what we're trying to get at when we talk about objectivity. It means that you have to subject the, the, the views that you disagree with um, to a fair degree of scrutiny, You can't, but you can't misrepresent them. Right, and you can't be one-sided in your presentation. Uh, I mean, if I'm presenting something, I'm presenting my side of it, but I don't think that the, the, the fairness is, I think, a little bit more um, metaphysical than that. Fairness, I think talks about um, the idea of, of being able to empathize with people who disagree with you. So, you know, I, I might happen to be an atheist, you know, whatever, pro-choice, pro-drug legalization, you know, you know, pick, pick, pick what I am from a bucket. But if I'm going to talk to someone who is, you know, a deeply conservative, deeply religious person who believes that abortion is fundamentally killing babies, then I, you know, I have to represent that person's views fairly. I can't, I can't say, you know, this person wants to turn the world into a handmaiden's tale dystopian nightmare, because that's just not true, right? Like, that's not, that's not accurate to the, to the viewpoints. And that requires a degree of empathy um, that uh, I think is fundamentally, fundamental to the work of journalism. Are, are you making it work? I mean, you mentioned the, the economics that have forced, you know, newspapers especially, but most media into a less flexible position, uh, perhaps a more risk-averse position. Are, are you making it work in your work now? Yes. I mean, this is something that I find so funny is that um, a lot of people who are still in mainstream media, I think, look at what I'm doing and like, oh, you're taking such a risk. You're out on a limb. Um, what are you doing? And I'm looking at them and I'm saying, you know, you're two weeks away from a layoff notice. Who's taking the risk? Uh, I, I'm, I, there is no such thing as a secure position in media. And just because you have, uh, you know, a defined or a, a sorry, a, a pension program and benefits and a business card doesn't protect you. Um, you know, all of these industries are going down. So we, and we don't know which ones are going to survive in 10 years or even two. So, you know, who's, who's taking the risk? Yeah, well, if you are in media today, there there is the sort of Damocles that is constantly hanging over your head. Uh, you don't you don't know. Uh, we do keep hearing about layoffs and and downsizing. You know, it's it's difficult to watch. To be honest, uh, it's difficult to watch because I know there are people who are doing good work, uh, something that's very meaningful for them. Uh, and from which they derive a, a fair amount of their own identity. And when that's taken away, it's not just the loss of a job. There's a lot more to it for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always horrible to see people lose their jobs. And, you know, as much as I think um, in our culture, you know, we don't, we don't treat journalists very well, and we assume that they're, they're, they're bad people or, or whatever, I think that's wrong. I think that most journalists are, are very good people who have sought out a high-risk, low-paying profession because they fundamentally believe in it, and um, it it always breaks my heart to see them see them lose their lose their jobs. You know, even people I disagree with that's that's not relevant. It's you know they're still human beings. I want to get your reaction to a quote from Edward Snowden. Okay, he's he's written his book Permanent Record, um, and in it he writes in sort of this longer passage on the use of data actually, but he says. Two, two things specifically that I find very interesting. 
He says we can't permit our data to be used to sell us the very things that must not be sold, such as journalism. If we do, the journalism we get will be merely the journalism we want or the journalism that the powerful want us to have, not the honest conversation that's necessary. What do you think of what he's got to say there? Um, I think that I'm of two minds of this. I do think there is a risk of creating algorithmically created information bubbles, and we are starting, or we have been seeing the consequences of that risk, particularly in the United States. I think a huge part of the polarization that's happening in the United States is a result of the fact that, you know, if you're you know, a Republican or a Democrat, you're essentially living in totally different information worlds. So that's already happening. Um, it's the implications of his statement that concern me, because the implications of a statement would suggest that, you know, going to a nonprofit model for journalism is the way to go. You know, you're always going to be beholden to the to the people who cut the check. So, what? Who do you imagine is going to cut the check if you try a different model? Um, you know, government-funded journalism has problems. Um, crowdsourced journalism, which is sort of what I'm engaging engaged with, has problems. Um, Advertising-driven model-driven journalism has problems. And the, you know, algorithmically derived um, uh, information bubbles that we've created also is deeply problematic. So this strikes me as a problem without an easy solution um, and probably a problem with half a dozen solutions. Well, you know, the thing is, the problem itself, as you've just described it, and I think it's an accurate description, but the problem isn't new. No, not at all. I mean, the algorithm that... That's, there's that, that aspect of it, of course, is much more uh, current. But I remember working at a radio station where someone had a story about the auto sector or auto retailers that uh, wasn't great, wasn't complimentary. And it annoyed some of the car dealerships that advertised with the station. And I remember the comment from some, someone who was a higher up who said, now I wonder who's going to wear this now. You know, you're you're beholden to your advertisers, you're beholden to someone. Yeah, and, and the other thing I would point out is it's not new in the sense that um, we've always had information bubbles. If you go back to the, the, the golden age of newspapers, you know, from the days of the printing press to the 1930s, you know, you, it would be very common for a city to have a dozen newspapers and each one kind of representing a particular um, ideological position. I mean, this model is still, still somewhat alive in, in the UK today, right? If you're left-leaning, you read The Guardian, and if you're right-leaning, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, this, this, this information thing isn't new. People have always gravitated toward perspectives that they, that they find comfortable and that they agree with. Um, and there's always been a sort of a market incentive to give people what they want. Um, there's no easy way to force feed people new perspectives that they that they fundamentally don't want to hear. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, I just don't I don't see what the obvious solution to that is. In fact, I think it, there's it's possible that um, technology might be as much the the answer to this problem as as the cause of it. Um, you know, algorithms can be tweaked to sort of diversify news feeds. And also technology is giving journalists like me entirely new opportunities to create our own outlets and to create our own spaces, which we wouldn't have had even five years ago. So, you know, I, I don't think that it's technology is a is a is a black hat, white hat, white hat issue. I think it can contribute to a problem we've always had. And um, we have to learn how to be smarter, how to navigate that problem. Could, could you ever go back to 
so-called regular employment at a newspaper, say, or even the CBC? I think it would be hard for me to be governable is the issue. Um, you know, I, I haven't really worked in a main st- or in a newsroom for since 2012. Um, so, I mean, I've been kind of independent of a kind, although I, I worked sort of as, as the uh, Calgary correspondent for the Post for several years. I worked from home. Um, you know, I don't do particularly well in highly political sort of newsroom environments. Um, I'm a little too blunt for that. And, uh, you know, it just it just becomes a personality um, issue for me. Uh, so I, I struggle with that. So, so I could see myself in a, in a sort of a small newsroom organization. Um, but I think that I, I'm, I'm charting my own path through the wilderness, so to speak. And I'm kind of okay with that. Could you could you see yourself giving up journalism one day? One day, it's anything's possible. Most journalists do. Yeah. But I mean, I've yet I've yet to find another job that I would like to do more than what I'm doing. That's my problem, right? Like, I mean, I guess I could go make more money doing other more boring things, but I don't know if I'd be very happy with it. Would, would you recommend a journalism career to your kids? Depends on the kid. Depends on the kid. Um, you know, it's it's. I think that if I mean, I'd wanted to go to journalism from the time I was 16 years old, and I was I was pretty um, relentless and driven in that pursuit, and. You know, I think that if it's the only job that you can see yourself doing, you don't really have a choice but to try it, see what happens. Um, but I think you always have to go into a job like this with with um, your expectations grounded in reality. Because, I mean, I see a lot of people who email me every day, people who think that they're the undiscovered geniuses of, of writing and journalism and who genuinely believe that they're being kept out of the field because of this or that arbitrary characteristic. And, you know, it. it it's all I can do to scream at them. And I'm like, you're just not that good. <laughs> you know, like, 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 you know, I, you know, I, 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 I think it's, 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 if, if you're really, really passionate about something, it's a calling you, you have to, you have to pursue it. Um, but you also have to pursue it with the, with the, um, with an open mind, with an expectation that, you know, something else might come along that interests you more. You can't ground yourself in your vision of, of who you were at 16 and, and be, um, unable to change from that. And, and I hope I, I don't. I just honestly haven't found an opportunity that I like more than what I'm currently doing. Jan Gerson, we'll end it there. Thank you very much for your perspective. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So as we close out this episode, let me connect again with our producer, Rachel Fedema. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Daniel. You know, it's as as Jen was saying earlier, it's easy to fall into the trap of kind of having your own media echo chamber, uh, only taking in news sources or opinions you like and dismissing those that you don't. How do you navigate that challenge? I loved her historical perspective because, you know, the technologies that we use to communicate with each other, they've changed, but we've always sort of needed them. Um, so uh, becoming conscious of the, you know, the ways that I consume my own news. I'm not, I'm not often that conscious of it, but actually my husband tries to hack the algorithm by specifically clicking on things that he doesn't agree with and listening to people that he doesn't agree with so that <laughs> YouTube and whatever will start giving him perspectives that he's unfamiliar with instead of, you know, all the stuff that he'd normally click on. And it actually works pretty well for him. So I, I don't have much to brag about for myself, but I really uh, admire the way that he does that and, and that consciousness to how we receive our information. That's that's fantastic. Uh, I know for myself, I've decided I'm not going to give up on media 
writ large. Um, I'll read, mm. you know, watch, listen, whatever, to a, a fairly wide variety of sources. Um, and I will not, I just refuse to filter them through Facebook or Google News or, or something like that. Because in, in my mind, it's okay to hear a, a radio news story, for example, that you think is biased if you're aware of that bias and if you're able to find, say, you know, another supplementary source or something to round out what it is that you're, that you're hearing or, or learning. Uh, that's much better than simply uh, narrow casting to yourself. Totally. That's the dream, right? That our education, that being taught critical thinking will protect individuals and be able to at least have a final bastion of those who can defend truth for themselves. You know, we can we can try to point fingers at who's supposed to be protecting truth and that integrity. But, it, you know, as a last stop as for critical thinking and that kind of thing, that's uh, it's not a bad place to start. All right. Thank you, Rachel Fatima. And uh, thank you to you for listening to this podcast. Don't forget to like or subscribe or follow the long way wherever you're getting your podcasts. And uh, maybe if you're listening to this right now, you, you've got some thoughts that you want to share on this topic or another topic. So write to us, media at cardis.ca. We'd be happy to hear, uh, well, read your thoughts, I should say. So for the entire team at The Long Way and for the entire team at Cardis, I'm Daniel Prusilides. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.